The hour to which the podcast adjourned having arrived, the podcast is now in order. Let's gavel in for this week's State House Takeout with the reporters on top of Beacon Hill at the State House News Service. Here's Sam Doran. Well, happy Friday, folks. Welcome to another edition of the State House Takeout. We know a lot of folks were busy this week with school vacation week and various plans, and we're here to catch you all up on what happened this week on Beacon Hill. We're joined, as always, by Colin Young, Katie Lannon, and Matt Murphy. Hi, guys. Howdy. Hey, Sam. What's up, Sam? Matt, let's let's start with you. Uh, the start of this session last month was dominated by talk of the federal government shutdown. That ran for more than a month, December into January. Uh, and we had a lot of conversations up here about what the state could do to help people who were affected. Uh, it seemed we might be headed for a second shutdown until President Trump signed a funding bill last Friday. Uh, so all that talk up here at the State House of working groups, task forces, legislation, was all that for naught or, or might that come into play again in the future? Yes, yeah, Sam, it may all come into play sometime in the future, but for now it seems to be put on ice. You're right that after President Trump signed that funding bill uh, last Friday, which basically ensured that the federal government will stay open through at least September 30th, uh, talks on Beacon Hill about rushing through some type of reactive bill to extend UI benefits to federal workers in the case of an emergency or take other steps uh, really seems to have dissipated. And I reached out to uh, Chairman uh, Senator Jason Lewis, uh, who led the Senate Working Group to uh, examine this issue. And he actually told me that during a closed-door Democratic caucus last week on Thursday, which of course we all got distracted by committee assignments, but he and the Senate Working Group spent a good deal of time briefing their fellow senators on a report and recommendations that they put together to deal with federal shutdowns. Uh, and that included both the extending and making sure that federal workers who are furloughed uh, have access to unemployment benefits for the time that they're out of work and not getting paid, and they would have to repay those benefits once they get their back pay. And Senator Lewis also told me that they're also concerned about what could happen in the final weeks of February now uh, at food pantries, because one of the things that the federal government did during the initial shutdown was that they accelerated payments of SNAP benefits, those the food stamp program essentially for low-income families, and they paid out those benefits early ahead of time to make sure the families would get them regardless of what happened with the shutdown. But Lewis said that in Massachusetts, there was so much confusion and uh, concern and panic among recipients about what would happen to their benefits that they went ahead and they, there was a 40% spike in the actual redemption rate in, in food stamps in January. So there is a real threat that people could be running out of their benefits now and won't have access to new benefits until March 1st. So Senator Lewis says that they're going to urge a passage of a $2 million in the next supplemental budget to help food pantries deal with what could be an influx over the coming uh, week plus until uh, new benefits are available in March. But as far as unemployment benefits go for federal government workers, the immediacy might not be there right now. Yeah, exactly. Because the f because the federal government is now funded through September 30th, uh, Senator Lewis said that this their working group actually wrote a bill that would make uh, UI benefits available to federal workers, and it would waive the requirement that they actually be seeking work to become eligible. And like I said, it would require them to repay the benefits at the end of the shutdown. But I asked Lewis, why not take the step now and vote on this so that it can be put in right away? And he said, because essentially 
there's no, uh, as you put it, sense of urgency there. The bill's written. Uh, it's sitting in a drawer. They'll be able to pull it out and pass it uh, should another threat of a federal shutdown loom, and he thinks that that's good enough. We should probably also note that on the House side, uh, they've taken a bit of a less proactive stance, even though the Speaker was very concerned while the shutdown was going on. They essentially passed a bill to create a task force. and when Which I talk- would have included members of the legislature and the Baker administration. Exactly. They wanted to bring all the branches together. And this was a, a bill, a resolve, actually filed by freshman Rep. Natalie Blay from the western part of the state. And uh, they passed that. And I spoke to the Speaker's office this week. And they say that they're still interested in that and still waiting on the Senate to take up that bill, which of course, is probably a long shot since the Senate has already gone ahead and done the work themselves as far as they're concerned. So that's where we stand now. Cool. Thanks, Matt. Katie, this week you were covering what's going on out at Hampshire College, which is a small liberal arts college in Amherst. Uh, And that's the latest local college in Massachusetts with a sort of tenuous situation, leaving students and staff uh, wondering what the future might hold for them there. Uh, They saw some of their first layoffs this week, didn't they? That's right, Sam. It was a total of nine people from the admissions and advancement departments um, out at Hampshire College. And part of that, the president said, is because given their their situation, the uncertainty around their future as they look for a long-term partner to help them stay viable, they're not admitting a full class this fall. They, uh, the school's trustees decided earlier this month to only enroll students who were accepted in the early decision program and those who were accepted last year but chose to defer for a year, take a gap year. So they don't have the work for an admissions department to be doing. They're also rethinking what their advancement should look like given the, the restructuring. And in a, a message to the community earlier this month, Hampshire President Miriam Nelson described the school as, as someone as one that had never prop, been properly endowed and has always, this is a quote, stayed just one step ahead of financial calamity. And, and now it's finding it's facing some of the pressures, demographic shifts, declining enrollments that many school, small colleges are increasing. Of course, the closure of Mount Ida College and the acquisition of that campus by UMass Amherst made huge headlines across the state. We remember that issue from last session. Right. The Mount Ida College situation in particular got a lot of folks talking up here at the State House. That's right. And Newbury College in Brookline has also recently uh, announced its closure. But it's two freshman lawmakers from out in Amherst, where Hampshire College is located, who say they've been meeting with uh, stakeholders on this, right? That's right. Um, Rep. Mindy Dom and Senator Joe Comerford, both new lawmakers from out that way. And of course, higher education is a a big part of the community out in Amherst and the surrounding area, major employer. Uh, Rep. Dom and Sen- Senator Comerford put out a statement to kind of advise their constituents of the, the different meetings they've been having with state officials and school officials as they monitor what they describe a, a painful as a painful situation and how it will affect their constituents who include students, alumni, and faculty in Hampshire. Um, I talked to Rep. Dom. Um, both she and Senator Comerford were newly appointed just last week to the Higher Education Committee. And the representative said she's hoping that the committee will be able to look at this landscape of higher education, this kind of uncertainty, and whether or not there should be regulations, what those regulations would look like, and the interrelated question, too, of state support for public universities and and what the state's role is in this changing landscape and if more support is necessary. Indeed, the uh, the Board of Higher Education, 
wants to see the state have more oversight over situations like this. That's right. They recently uh, proposed a plan under which if a college or university knows by December 1st that they don't have the financial means to complete the current and following academic year, they'd need to notify students and have a full contingency plan that would need state approval. The uh, chairman of the Board of Higher Education, Chris Gabrelli, he, he said at the time that this plan was rolled out that it's only going to get worse in the next 10 years, that dynamic of closures, mergers, uh, and tenuous situations facing colleges and universities. So mm, some foreshadowing. Yeah, definitely. Oh, all right. Thanks, Katie. Thanks, Sam. And Colin, something else that we've been hearing about a lot over the past year, but uh, this, this is the story that just keeps on going. Uh, after about three months, now it seems that the end of the legal battle between Steve Wynn and the Gaming Commission could be drawing to a conclusion. Uh, what did we learn about that this week? That's right, Sam. It's been a, a really a year now since the Gaming Commission started looking into these allegations against Steve Wynn. Uh, and in mid-November, uh, Steve Wynn filed suit against the Gaming Commission, uh, and that's really been holding up the, the commission's investigation. So this week, Sam, the commission voted uh, to authorize its lawyers to work to finalize a settlement that would result in the lawsuit being dismissed and the commission getting important information that it wants as it prepares to decide whether Wynn Resorts should keep its casino license for the uh, $2.6 billion casino it's building in Everett. We don't know exactly what the settlement might look like, what the terms of it may be, uh, but there is some precedent here. Uh, last month, Wynn Resorts admitted in a settlement with Nevada gaming regulators that some of its former executives uh, were aware of some of these uh, allegations of sexual misconduct against Steve Wynn uh, and did not take steps to investigate the claims further. What, what action did the gaming board out in Nevada take? Well, the Gaming Board in Nevada was conducting a similar investigation as the, the one that's uh, underway here in Massachusetts. Mm. Uh, but that one ended in a settlement, which is uh, uh, where this might be headed here in Massachusetts. Um, and in, in Nevada, the board said that its investigation, uh, quote, discovered multiple allegations of sexual misconduct and or sexual harassment against Mr. Wynn. Um, but ultimately, the uh, gaming officials in Nevada decided to fine Wynn Resorts, with Wynn Resorts uh, agreeing to admit to most of the allegations in the settlement uh, that the gaming regulators would not revoke the license to hold a casino in Nevada. Well, that, that could be a promising precedent as, as Wynn Resorts looks ahead toward, uh, what is it, a scheduled June opening of the Encore Boston Harbor uh, casino up in Everett. Yeah, the uh, Encore Boston Harbor uh, Casino is uh, being built as we speak. Uh, that happened uh, on a parallel track to the commission's investigation. Wynn Resorts made the decision to go ahead with construction uh, while the commission went ahead with its investigation. Um, officials at Encore Boston Harbor say that the casino is about 90% complete and is on track to open in June. Now, between, uh, between now and then, the gaming commission will have to decide if Wynn Resorts is still suitable to hold the, uh, hold the casino license that it got in 2014. Uh, and like I said, the uh, casino going up there uh, on the banks of the Mystic River, $2.6 billion. Now, the Gaming Commission has been having a lot of executive sessions, as you've said recently. Uh, what's, what's their schedule look like for next week? Uh, nothing scheduled. All right. <laughs> <laughs> nothing scheduled as of yet. Well, we'll know things when we know them. All right. Thanks, Colin. Thanks.
All right, folks, let's pick back up with our final thoughts for this week. Going around the room, let's start over there with Matt Murphy. Yes, yeah, Sam, we should probably note the uh, breaking news that as we sit here and record this, House Speaker Robert DeLeo has been over in Somerville at Greentown Labs announcing a new uh, billion-dollar climate uh, initiative that he's uh, rolling out. This uh, looks a lot to me something like Deval Patrick and uh, then-Speaker Sal DeMacy did around life sciences, a billion-dollar plan, perhaps with borrowing and it somewhat resembles what Governor Charlie Baker has put forward as well without the uh, tax funding apparatus to, to cover the expenses. Yep, big news, but coming on a Friday afternoon. So we've had Chris Lasinski over there, and we'll be putting out that news shortly on the News Service Wire. Katie Lannon. The Massachusetts Emergency Management Agency's longtime director, Kurt Schwartz, is saying goodbye after uh, almost a decade in that post, we learned this week. And he's overseen the response and recovery for 13 presidentially declared disasters, including the, the Boston Marathon bombings and manhunt, the 2010 Massachusetts Water Resources Authority water main failure, tornadoes in 2011, the crazy winter of 2015, and of course the Merrimack Valley gas explosions this past fall. His uh, successor, former Philadelphia Emergency Management Director Samantha Phillips, will start on Monday. Hmm. Colin Young. Well, Matt took my final thought for the day, so I'm going to switch it up a little bit, and I'll say that uh, the, uh, the air is a little bit sweeter, the sun feels a little bit warmer, because at long last, baseball is back. The Red Sox are playing down in Fort Myers today, Yep, and that means opening day isn't too far off. Just around the corner. That's right. Beating up on your alma mater, we should point out. This is the one game where I have a a sort of split allegiance. (laughs) Do I root for Northeastern or do I root for the Red Sox? And what did you pick? I can't lose either way. You can't lose. All right. Well, on that note, I'll be out on vacation next week, uh, but the takeout will go on, and we'll have a guest host in here. Uh, Have a great weekend, folks. We'll we'll see you when we see you. Thanks. Have a good weekend. Happy Friday. Good night and good luck. (laughs) Statehouse Takeout is a production of the Statehouse News Service. And for a daily fix of Statehouse headlines, visit masterlist.com. Masterlist with two S's. Thanks again for listening. See you next week.